Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like expanding capacity for sustainable aviation fuel and biodiesel in Washington state and bringing massive new infrastructure online in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. My guest today is Elizabeth Warren, the senator known for taking on Wall Street, the big banks, and the billionaire class. People like Mark Zuckerberg consider her an existential threat. Finally, something he and I can agree on, though I think an existential threat to Zuckerberg might be a good thing. Warren took the national stage when she ran for the Democratic nomination in 2020. Her catchphrase, I have a plan for that but Warren's plans didn't carry her all the way through the primaries. After dropping out of the race, she went back to her full-time gig as senator from Massachusetts. So to mark the Biden administration's first year in office, I wanted to talk to the woman with a plan about how the administration is doing, whether she thinks the Democratic Party has to become more ruthless, and of course, whether she's really the anti-money, anti-wealth, anti-tech senator people in Silicon Valley and beyond paint her to be. Senator Warren, welcome to Sway. Thank you. So I'm not kidding when I say people are very scared of you. After you appeared at one of my conferences, I've never gotten such feedback. They were angry and and upset and had never heard sort of anybody criticize them. I think that's part of it. But I hear more about you than anyone else when I talk to tech executives of all levels. They're worried about your discussion about wealth, about tech, about various things. You've gone after corporations and the wealthy and spoken out against crypto they seem to think you're going to take away their money. Is that true? How would you characterize it? Uh, Are you asking if I believe in taxation and particularly in progressive taxation, as in the richer you are, the more you ought to pay? The answer is yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. in all capital letters. But here's the thing. It always shocks me that these guys are so bent out of shape by me. I believe in markets. I want to see competition and I want to see innovation. I want to see good products brought forward. I want to see startups having a chance to get in the game. And I recognize that if there are no rules, markets don't work. And I'm not just making that up. We've known that for a bazillion years. Sure. But these are the wealthiest people on the planet and the most valuable companies on the planet. They make products that everybody uses, billions of people use. The pandemic, they've never gotten bigger and more useful for people. How do you look at what they've created when you think about rules then? It's not what they have created. It's about who's going to get a chance to create something tomorrow. One of the things that happens is when these companies get giant, they figure out that they can maximize their profits by snuffing out the competition. And they got a lot of ways they do that. Sometimes they buy them out and crush them. Sometimes they just crush them with predatory pricing and uh, undercut them in dozens of different ways. And if there's no cop on the beat, then what we'll end up with is one giant in each industry. And that giant has no particular reason to be innovative, to keep down prices, to respond to consumers who may not want 
what the mainstream thing is, but something else. And that's when it is that the economy goes sour. That's when it is when the industry starts downhill. I just understand the role of government is to keep these markets competitive. And part of that is to keep giants from dominating. Well, these are giants that don't charge anything, though. There's not prices. These are products that are useful to people. And certainly during the pandemic, you know, I'm not known as a tech non-critic, but at the same time, they have created this enormous wealth and enormously innovative things that people use every day. They have. But let me put it back to you. Maybe you don't like the way that Facebook deals with privacy. You know, there are other companies at different points in the development of this industry who were offering different kinds of privacy settings. And if they had had a chance to compete, it might be today that there would be a real and open market for whether or not I'm going to be on platform A that sells all of my information to anybody who comes along or platform B that sells only a little bit of my information or platform C that says, here's the deal. We're just not going to sell your information to somebody else. I don't have that choice today. And I don't have that choice because there is one dominant player and they have decided how the privacy settings are going to work. So do you worry that these markets tend to coalesce around one, that there's one social media, one search, or it doesn't have to? You don't feel like it has to? So the answer is a little bit yes and a little bit no. Yes, in the sense that that's true for almost every market. Once you get a dominant player, the dominant player's uh, impulse is to crush the opposition. And so you can describe that as the market coalesces. That's how markets have worked. And that's been going on uh, certainly throughout the entire 20th century and a big part of the 19th century and probably before then. But the other half is to say, I do think that platforms are special because unlike some other markets, you get benefits by having more players on a platform. So for example, uh, think about telephones. It doesn't matter that you're at telephone company B and I'm at telephone company A. I can still call you and you can still call me. If the same thing were true in tech, that is, if I could take my followers who follow me on Facebook and they could still connect to me when I go to a new platform, then we'd have interoperability And there'd be no reason that you'd have just one dominant player in this area. Are you on Facebook? Do you use Facebook? My political account does, yeah. Yeah, what about you? Personally, no. Because? It's not, it makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like the privacy settings. So I feel better talking to my family by phone or by sending them texts and emojis and we do lots of fun things, but I don't, I don't do it on Facebook. So why did you think Mark called you sort of an existential threat? What did you take that as? I took that as my company is a giant and this woman is a giant slayer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He derives his power now, not from the quality of the product, but from the giantness of dominating this entire field. And we have lots and lots of historical evidence, lots and lots of contemporary evidence that markets work better for consumers and markets work better for our economy when there's opportunity for new players and lots of competition. 
Okay, you mentioned taxation in December. Another billionaire you seem to have angered. Elon Musk got person of the year. You tweeted, let's change the rigged tax code so the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else. Because he's Elon, he replied, you remind me of when I was a kid and my friend's angry mom would just randomly yell at everyone for no reason. And then he said, please don't call the manager on me, Senator Karen. What what did you think about that? Well, you know, can we just start with the fact that uh, baby, this isn't random. What I care about is that Elon Musk paid, you want to know how much he paid in taxes in 2018? One of the richest guys in the whole world. How much did he pay in taxes, federal income taxes? Answer, zero, zero, none. Every nurse who paid taxes, every firefighter who paid taxes paid more than Elon Musk. That's a broken taxation system. Well, now he's arguing this year he'll be paying billions. This year he will pay a lot because he chose to sell a big, big bunch of his stock. But, you know, I just want to point out pretty much everybody in America would be a little richer today or a lot richer today if they had not had to pay any federal income taxes for years and years and years. So to say now that he's in this position where he can sell off a slice of his business and make a bazillion dollars. And because he chose to take that action, he will pay taxes this year. I'm sorry, I just don't think that wins him the uh, good tax-paying Citizen of the Year award. Okay, you don't mind him calling you Senator Karen or think making fun? <laughs> what he's hoping for is that this is personal. I guess you've gotten worse. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, but think about that. It is. It's about trying to make it personal instead of talking about what's wrong with the tax system. Because I really, I do want to have that conversation. What is wrong with a tax system that literally the richest people in this country, the billionaires, can get by paying zero? We saw this. We actually saw their tax returns and have learned that they can now structure their lives once they have amassed a big enough fortune to never have to pay the taxes that nurses and firefighters and waitresses are paying. And I think that's wrong. Not precisely their fault. It's the system's fault. Why wouldn't they avail themselves of the system? I'm sorry. Who do you think is lobbying the system to keep it exactly like it is. Why do you understand that he wants to say there's going to be a personal price to pay if we talk about taxes? Dang it, that's exactly what we should be doing in Congress, changing the tax code. Okay, Elon Musk spoke to a conservative satirical website, the Babylon Bee. Let's play a clip from that. She called me a freeloader um, and a grifter who doesn't pay taxes, basically. Um, And I'm literally paying the most tax that any individual in history has ever paid this year, ever. Uh, and she doesn't pay taxes, <laughs> basically at all. And her, tax, and her salary is paid for by the taxpayer, like me. Could you even use, could you you know, you like, use TurboTax? Irony? Would that even work? If, 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 if you could die by irony, she would, be, she would be dead. Oh, dear. Now, I know you do pay taxes, actually. Yes, actually, I do. Are you dead from irony, Senator Warren? No, nope, I'm alive and kicking. So Elon and Mark aren't the only two people. I literally get complaints about you all the time. And one of the things they tend to use, I would say, 
obnoxious terms to describe you. One called you a school marm, the Democratic Party, for example. I argue back that I think you're an excellent college professor who gave them the D they richly deserved, and they're (laughs) mad at you. Um, Why do you think people see you that way? Is it because you're saying this out loud or that no one else does? Or what do you imagine why some tech leaders, not all of them, have this perception of you that Elon's tapping into, for example? You know, I just assume it's the same as anybody who doesn't like someone who challenges them. And they look for what they think is a vulnerability, and somehow they think that's my vulnerability. I don't know. I don't actually spend a lot of time worrying about it. I am not a thin-skinned billionaire. Uh, It just... (laughs) They are thin-skinned. You should get those guys in here and ask them. And ask them about why they use the particular language they do. But for me, I keep wanting to focus on how we build something that's fair. Okay, so speaking of grades and being a college professor, we're one year into the Biden presidency. What grade would you give the president? Incomplete. First thing I learned, we never graded anybody in law school one quarter of the way in. (laughs) We got to wait till we hit the end. But let's look at where we were. What's happened in a year? Two huge challenges that the president faced when he was sworn in. First one is medical. What are we going to do? We're in the middle of a pandemic. And today, thanks to the work of the Biden administration, anybody who wants a vaccine can get one for free anywhere. And uh, where are we? About uh, 75% roughly of Americans have gotten their vaccines. Not nearly as many have gotten their boosters. They should. But the point is, We've done that. We now have a public health system that is creaky but functioning, and that's good. Second part has been the economy. Remember the predictions when we got into the pandemic even a year ago that this was going to send our economy into a complete tailspin. And today, our economy is strong. We've got low unemployment, a lot of job creation, a lot of demand, an economy that's still working. Schools are back open. We also have passed an infrastructure bill after infrastructure week becoming the butt of a joke, you know, for years. We actually have money coming in for roads and bridges and mass transit and greening transit and um, broadband. So those are good. What's still in front of us? There's a lot more we need to do on the economic front. That's what Build Back Better is all about. Right now, it looks like Build Back Never. Well, You're asking the question, where are we in the first year? And the answer is, we haven't done, but we have laid out in front of us expanding Medicare, housing aid, bringing down the cost of prescription drugs, and a piece I fought hard for that corporations that have more than a billion dollars in profits are actually going to have to pay taxes on that. All right, but Build Back Better, which I was jokingly called Build Back Never, is dead in the water. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin doesn't support it. Does the administration have a path forward here? Well, I think that Joe Manchin has taken a lot of different positions around a lot of different parts of Build Back Better. Uh, For example, he says repeatedly that he wants to see us make this investment in childcare. I've spoken personally with Joe more times than I can count about that part of the bill. He's very, um, has been very strong on it. He's also very strong on making rich people pay more. And I hope that means that we can actually work something out for a billionaire income tax. I hope all my billionaire friends are listening to that. It may not be 
exactly the BBB that we have been talking about for months and So you're months. talking about a broken, the path forward would be to break these apart and pass them individually rather than having a landmark piece of legislation. Oh, look, universal childcare. I'm sorry. I get that. Maybe I say this is a mom. Landmark, landmark, landmark. I get that. But this was all in one massive bill. You know, this is what was always so crazy. Why is it all in one massive bill? I don't know. I mean, that was always, uh, yeah, you do. It's not just because we all said, hey, if we're going to have a meal, let's bring in every food ever known to humankind. That's not the reason at all. It's because we live in a Senate that is crippled by the filibuster. And one time a year, we get to have a meal with a 50-vote threshold. And the consequence of that is everybody who has something they really want to get done, everybody in the Senate, every group outside the Senate says, please, 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 this is my chance. Let's get it in. So now is also the chance to do paid family leave. Now is also the chance to do home and community-based care. Now is also the chance to do universal preschool. It's all the pieces. And so Democrats have tried to keep all of them in. We may not get them all at the same time. We may get some of them, and then we may have to run in 2022 on the remainder. All right. So it's, it's many in the Democratic Party just saying that Manchin's holding the Democratic Party hostage. Do you see it that way? You said you speak with him yourself frequently? The way I would describe it is that we are in a 50 majority Senate, the skinniest possible majority that you can have and still call it the majority. And that means every vote matters enormously. And we are all trying to get to a place where everybody gets something, but nobody gets everything that they wanted. I mean, he can get everything he wants in, with this 50-vote majority. And the same thing with Kristen Cinema blocking the uh, filibuster, et cetera. Well, I believe that we are all trying to move toward some basic things that we all buy into. How exactly we get there, what the details look like, it differs. And there are certainly things that, as I say, we're all going to get something we want. Nobody's going to get everything they want. And I believe that means all 50 of us, nobody is going to get everything. Is that frustrating to you? How, do you, how does that make you feel? And what do you say to Mansion and Cinema? Well, we talk a lot about what we're trying to accomplish for this country. And there's a lot more that we agree on than that we disagree on. And we're still in a place where we're trying to build from what we agree on rather than, you know, everybody takes to their corners and say, here are the places where I disagree. Uh, draw your swords. Is it easy to blame Manchin or Cinema? What could uh, President Biden have done to avoid or salvage this? What does it say about his power as a leader or is it just the way it is? It's... <laughs> It's always easy to do 2020 hindsight because nobody can ever test it. I confess I'm impatient, but it's not just over that. I want to get everything done. I'm so frustrated about childcare. Not at any one of my colleagues, not at the president, but damn it, there are too many women who are at home right now who cannot go back to work because they can't get childcare. There are too many childcare workers who wanted to be in childcare. It was their chosen field. And who had to leave the field because they make more money checking out burgers at McDonald's. So you believe they can split up these things or that there will be some bill where some of these things will be in 
Or could it just nothing passes? Or could it all pass? In the, I, I don't want to negotiate against myself here. So my view is I love it all. I want it all. And I've got a way to pay for it all, which I also think is very, very important here. I believe we're going to bring something together. It's going to be a little different from what we have right now. Obviously, if everybody was signed off on what we have right now, we'd have already done it. Uh, so there's going to be some change. The question of how much change is a ball that's still up in the air. It hasn't quite come all the way back down to earth. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Senator Amy Klobuchar, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Senator Warren after the break. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Josh Klein. And we're the hosts of Built for Change, a podcast from Accenture. On Built for Change, we're talking to business leaders from every corner of the world that are harnessing change to reinvent the future of their business. We're discussing ideas like the importance of ethical AI or how productivity soars when companies truly listen to what their employees value. These are insights that leaders need to know to stay ahead. So subscribe to Built for Change wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, check in with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. You know, now Biden is doubling down on voting rights. Um, are you and other Democrats frustrated with him for not doing more on voting rights and sooner? Hey, look, I'm frustrated with Republicans. I hope we just all take a deep breath and think about the fact that one of the two major political parties in this nation has decided that the only way that they can retain power is to keep people, American citizens, from voting. And that they are willing to be quite overt about that. And they're willing to do it with gerrymandering. They're willing to do it with voter suppression. And now they've come up with this idea that they're willing to do it by letting Republican-controlled officials overturn the voters in their own states. This is the moment when we've got Republicans who literally have taken an axe to one of the foundational pieces of our democracy and are just hacking away at it. Okay, I see that. So what do you do? Do Democrats have to be more ruthless? Rather than saying, look at them over there, rather than agonize over democracy, do something about it. 
Absolutely. And what we've started with is we said, so what is the right bill? Because we have the capacity to write federal law to stop the individual states from doing this. And here's the good news. We have now written a bill that every single Democrat agrees on. We're all there. And because I just have to keep pointing this out, not one single Republican will join us. It is no, never, we are going to let the state legislatures just take away the rights of African-Americans to vote. If, if there's no end to filibuster and you have support from Manchin and Cinema, does it matter? So we've got the bill. The question is, can we find the pathway procedurally? I mean, this is the part that just chokes me like a chicken bone. You know, I just want to be clear here. Law professor for a long time, I didn't like civil procedure. Never wanted to have to learn 100 bazillion rules in the Senate. I'd take a frontal assault. That's where I've been all along. Get rid of the filibuster. My view is founders had it right. Majority rule should apply. And when people say to me, yeah, but what if you lose something really important to you under majority rule? My answer is that's what democracy is about. And so if the Republicans win the Senate or win the House, that's the way it is. So be it. That's how democracy works. As long as American citizens are getting a chance to vote, that's the foundational piece. But Senate has complicated rules and long, long traditional rules, stuff that's been there for, you know, 100 years, 150 years. And right now, in order to close off debate, it takes 60 votes. And I know that two of my colleagues have said they can't go along with that. The question is, within the the bowels of the rulemaking process, are there other ways for us to get across the finish line? So you're going in the bowels, in other words. You're going down. Yep. They're not going to give up the filibuster. They're not doing what they That's said they what would. That's what they have said. Yes. And do you imagine they're changing their mind at all? What we're looking for is, is there another way to get there so they don't have to change their minds on the filibuster? Okay. Is there still a way to get across the finish line? You know, it's actually worth noting to the side. Why are the Republicans not enthusiastic about getting rid of the filibuster as well? And part of the answer is they get everything they want. What are the two things they want? They want to cut taxes. You can do that on a vote of 50. And they want to put in extremist judges. You can do that now on a vote of 50. So what we want to do, though, are other things like protect voting, gun safety, immigration. Those all take right now under current rules with filibuster, 60 votes. So let's talk specifically about some of these things. It's sort of a lightning round. What should the administration do about wealth tax? Pass it. I love it. Are you kidding? It's one of the best things we could do on two fronts. It would help us fund the investments in opportunities for everyone else. And two, it's a fairness point. Why on earth should nurses, public school teachers, be paying more than billionaires. All right, I'm gonna. This is a lightning round, so we got to be lightning. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Chances of passing. Chances of passing a wealth tax. Yeah. Well, let me just put it this way: it's something that all of my colleagues have indicated varying degrees of support for. All right, crypto regulation. You said regulators in Congress are quote an hour late and a dollar short on this. Yeah, I want to see these markets work. Crypto has such promise but not if it's a place where people can get cheated. And so 
I'm working on it and others are working on it. I think we're going to get something done on crypto. Okay. The congressional subpoenas of tech companies by the January 6th Select Committee. Where do you imagine this is going, This uh, these subpoenas of these tech companies? They should have to answer subpoenas just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. Why should they not? And if Mark Zuckerberg has too much power already, do you want to further empower him to differentiate between legitimate and illegitimate political speech? I tell you what, after we break up Facebook and we've got a lot of competition in this space, and that means that one person does not have an iron fist control over information, then we can have that conversation again. There are two ways that as a government, as a country, we deal with any large company. One is to use our monopoly laws, break them up, get competition. The other is regulation. To the extent that you can break things apart, you can have more innovation, you can have more disruption, as the tech guys like to talk about, your need for regulation is actually lower. It's not zero, but it's a whole lot lower. So I'm still in breakup space. Which, of course, needs to be passed by Congress and courts. Well, not entirely. Some of it is going to be enforcement of our current laws. And remember, I want to give five stars to the Biden administration for bringing in Lena Khan to head up the FTC, for bringing in Tim Wu into the administration itself, and Jonathan Cantor into the Department of Justice. These are people who've already demonstrated that they are smart They have courage and they are tenacious on antitrust law. Now they have to do something. So you've been a big proponent of changing Section 230, which effectively shields tech platforms from liability. But people I've talked to have pointed out what I might call, and this is the Tucker Carlson problem, if Fox News and Carlson have liability for the poison they spread every night, how does giving Facebook the same liability structure as Fox fix anything? Well, let's, let's do every part of this. What is it we're trying to accomplish? And that is to make sure under Section 230 that nobody gets to hide behind the law and say, I can I can say or do whatever I want. What you're asking is, I, I'm going to phrase this slightly differently. Why is it that Fox News has different rules than, say, ABC or NBC? I think the harder question here is that we need to decide when it is that a platform is more like a broadcaster, when they're more like the New York Times, uh, and when it is that they're more like a telephone company. That is, they're just connecting people who talk to each other. Right. And I think that Section 230 has just walled off all that. So I think the place we start with this is to distinguish that there are two very different things going on. And that means we need better rules around the privacy end, but it also means we need better rules that actually say there is some liability for broadcast. Do you think... And I'm... Yeah, go ahead. Do you think Congress has been too... Why have they been so slow? I mean, I, I at this point, they're doing what they're doing. And it's not their fault for following the laws that are in place, even if you find it distasteful. At this point, it's Congress's fault. Of course. But why do you think Congress doesn't act? And the answer is because once these guys get big, do you know how many lobbyists there are out there for them? Do you know how much money there is behind them? Well, there's been lobbyists before. Oh, come on. 
Why? Listen, the pharmaceutical industry has been regulated, all of the other uh, industries. Yeah. And why is it that we don't have any negotiation on Medicare prescription drugs, right? Because we have the lobbyists in the pharmaceutical industry that keep Congress from acting. This is one of the problems. I'll, now I'll make my second argument for why we need more breakup. Go back to Teddy Roosevelt. You know, Teddy Roosevelt comes in and he says, we're going to break up the meatpacking industry. By the way, when it was less concentrated than it is today, because they have too much political power, because they seize our democracy by the throat, and they keep government from acting. It is hard in a democracy to have elected representatives who have the courage to fight back against powerful industries. It's not like someone just comes in and you know lays down a big paper bag full of money and says, I want you to vote the way I want you to vote. No, no, no. It's that they hire all the former people who used to work for you to sit in these rooms and listen to these, your former friends, your former co-workers, your former employees, describe, oh, here's the reason that uh, we have to leave Facebook alone. Here's the reason that we can't mess with the pharmaceutical industry. And here's this tiny little thing that they would be glad to do that we can all then pass and congratulate ourselves that there has been real change. It is a corrupt system. And it is not going to get less corrupt by letting these giants get bigger. Okay. So when you're talking about this idea of corruption, a lot of people are, are say it's well beyond that. There's sort of the democracy is dead group of people or that it's in big peril. Can the Democrats keep their slim Senate majority after this midterm, your prediction? I think we can expand our majority. Wow. I do. In the House and Senate? I know the House less. And I know that there's a lot more movement over there with people not running for re-election. If the House is not gerrymandered, we can win. We already spot the Republicans' points on gerrymandering. What about the Senate? Why do you think you can win? Because I feel like that's a hopeful thing, but probably no. I think we can win because I think ultimately we're, we run for office representing the things that most Americans want. we got a lot of good truth on our side. Truth, perhaps, but do Democrats have to be more ruthless? I think we have to be louder. Louder. I don't think that's ruthlessness. I'm See, I'm for ruthless, but go ahead. Well, it, but at this point, I, I don't even know what that means. Our job is just to get out there and tell the truth about what we're trying to do and the kind of country we envision seeing. And I think we get a majority of votes. Okay. Now, Joe Biden has said he's running again in 2024, but his approval rating has been hitting new lows. He'll be 82 in 2024. Should he run? I support Joe Biden running for president in 2024. Okay. Uh, can he beat Trump if Trump is the nominee? And do you think Trump is going to be the nominee? <laughs> if Trump is the nominee, I think Joe Biden beats him a second time. And I think he beats him by even more than he beat him by the first time. Donald Trump's dissent, and I didn't think I'd ever use that word with Donald Trump. I didn't think he could go any lower. But his dissent around the big lie his determination that every Republican shall line up and pledge loyalty to his lie. I get it. That stirs up a bunch of folks, and it may even win primaries, but I don't think it's going to win general elections. Are you thinking about running if it was possible? Would you run again? Oh, yeah. I'm running 2024 for Senate in Massachusetts. I understand. I'm talking about president. You know that. No. <laughs> no. 
I'm looking at Massachusetts. You know, I love this work for all its frustrations, for all the things that make me want to tear my hair out, for all the things that make me want to shout. I love the chance to be able to make a difference. And that gets me up every day. So so you're ruling out completely a presidential run at this moment. Yeah, not doing that. So last question. Everyone's agonizing about autocracy. I, there's so many stories everywhere. The Democrats can't stop talking about this. Um, not democracy that's dying in darkness, but democracy's dying in the light. What are you agonizing about? I am afraid of losing our democracy. And what does that look like? I'm afraid that if one political party can so nakedly say, we're going to restrict access to the vote, and if we don't like how it comes out, we're going to change it anyway, we're going to so load the dice that a minority of American voters will have control over the majority that the whole premise of our country changes. We'll still use the word democracy. We'll still have the flag, but it won't truly be a democracy. And our government will not reflect the will of the people. I'm, I, I, have, I have a ton of ideas. I think they're good ideas. But I'm also willing to accept that if the majority of Americans say no, okay, I'll give up on those. I'll modify them. I'll try to explain them a different way. I'll, I'll move to something else. I'll quit doing this. But I don't know how we survive over the long run if a handful of extremists say, nope, this country has to be the way they see it. It's not a handful. It's tens of millions of people. And right now, a majority of Republicans think the election was stolen. A majority. I understand you being lofty and ideas will win. Are you truly worried about this? Because these numbers are really quite disturbing in many ways. I am deeply worried about this. What does it mean that every shred of evidence that is brought forward is dismissed by Donald Trump and a legion of followers and that there's now a a whole separate uh, echo chamber of they tell each other how the election was stolen and that they can't listen to any other evidence. And that's, that puts everything we believe in at risk. You know, that uh, how democracies die, the authors of that. I, I've been reading their book and, and they, they made a presentation to the Democrats in the Senate. They said there are three criteria for what sets the stage for the death of a democracy. And this was written long before Donald Trump came along. And one was refusal to accept an election where you lost. The second was some violence. And the third is the party that was helped by the violence refuses to denounce those who are violent, doesn't push them out, doesn't say, no, that's not who we are. That when those three things come together, truly, it could lose your democracy. And I That worries me a lot. Okay, I think we'll end on that then. Thank you, uh, Senator Warren. You bet. It was a pleasure. Good to talk to you.
Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Daphne Chen, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. Edited by Naima Raza. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair and Mary Marge Locker. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Christina Samuelewski. The executive producer for New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcast. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, choking you like a chicken bone, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. And by the way, please don't choke on a chicken bone. <laughs>